Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Dark, a podcast about the CW's Riverdale. That's double your pleasure, double your fun. I'm Alex. And welcome to Hal's Sock Drawer, the dirtiest <laughs> little home for magazines you'll ever find. Betty, stay out of that drawer. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Riverdale Season 7, Episode 9, Chapter 126, Betty and Veronica Double, <gasps> double Digest. digest. You know, takes now, me back to my youth. Yeah. Exactly. I actually, I went to the supermarket to watch this episode, and weirdly, they weren't showing it at the checkout line, so Weird. I haven't even seen it yet. Did you grab a double digest from the spinner rack while you were there? That was what I was referencing, yes, Pete. There's no better place to enjoy anything than waiting in line for the checkout at your local supermarket. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. I don't really have much to say about this episode because I haven't seen it, but I do have a lot to say about the Snickers bar <laughs> that I bought. So if we uh, could talk yeah. about that instead, that would be great. Are you, sh- are you yes! shipping Snickers and Butterfingers? Snickers I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm not uh, shipping the finger. I'm Whoa. Shipping- Sneezes, Snicker, and Reese's. All right, why don't we get into a little bit of recap for this episode? So, as you can figure out for the title, it's very much focusing on Betty's story and Veronica's story, and we mix and match and go back and forth from there. The big thing that's going on with Betty is that she is really trying to figure out ways to express her sexuality in the 1950s. This has come out in ways like do it. She wants to be seen. She wants to be seen. That's what we find Mm -hmm. out by the end of this episode. Spoilers. But she has done a peep show with Archie across the way from the different houses. They were caught doing that. And then she was sentenced to the direst fate, you could imagine, a after-school dad show at Uh. which she flashed her underwear. And then her mom kicked her off of the dad's show and said, you broke my heart. You broke my heart, Betty. So that's what's going on with her. Meanwhile, over on the Veronica side of things, she has bought the Babylonium, the movie theater in town, out from under her parents who are still in Hollywood. We haven't seen them. We've kind of heard them a little bit or heard around them a little bit, but they are big stars in Hollywood. They exiled Veronica to Riverdale to teach her a lesson. Clearly, that's not necessarily sticking, but she is working. Not working. She's running the Babylonium with Kevin and Clay, and she is gunning really hard for Reggie, who is the new basketball star who has just moved into town. The other little things to mention here are Archie and Betty still live across the from each other, as you figure out for the peep show thing. Yep. They've struck up a bit of a flirtation. We're definitely exploring that, but they haven't full-on dated at this point. Um, Also, the other thing you should know. He's barely in this episode. Calm down. Oh, that bit of a framing device here. Jughead had a mentor named Brad Rayberry, who is a riff off of the science fiction author Ray Bradbury, who Uh, was found dead in the last episode, seemingly by suicide. However, we know he was murdered by a milkman. That's something that Jughead gets brought in on, but is dealing with over the course of this episode, drowning his sorrows in milkshakes at Pops. So... That's basically it that you need to know to go in this episode. There's obviously a couple of other little things here and there, but the, the 
like we mentioned, it's not necessarily like first half hour is Betty, second half hour is Veronica. It does go back and forth. But we do have these two storylines, so I think we can talk about them separately. However, first, I want to take questions from any of you guys. Uh, Pete, it seemed like you. Yeah, I just have the uh, this is the corrections. After you do the recap, this is the corrections part. Yeah, because you missed it. He wasn't drowning his sorrows in milkshakes. He was drowning his sorrows in the readings of his fallen hero. And then he was also drinking milkshakes. Okay, so well, he was having an alarming amount of milkshakes. I just got again. Say. No, he was I, having a regulation amount of milkshakes. It just I am the, all not the lactose intolerant. I'm very lactose tolerant, in fact. But that is too many milkshakes for the human stomach to handle. That's all. I, I mean, I hate to keep ringing this dairy alarm bell, but we have a, a dangerous <laughs> amount of dairy on this show. Mm-hmm. It's claiming victims left and right. The milkman's the, the problem milkman. here. It's all big milk, man. Don't you see what's happening, dude? You know, a major ingredient in a milkshake is milk. It's just the shake you're missing. Yeah. Since when? And and pop is is just. Is that. uh, uh, They're in 1955 right now, so just to make sure they used milk in the milkshakes, right? Yes, they do. And uh, milkshakes, um, uh, there were cows, uh, sadly, involved in an earthquake, and that's when the first milkshakes actually uh, oh, were my made. God. Stop <laughs> with this. They sh- shook them right up. And All right. Came. So, yeah, the Chocolate double digest. Vanilla. Milkshake, it's bringing my boys to the yard. Uh, the double <laughs> yeah. digest is great because, uh, you know, they also use the same kind of like fonts uh, mm-hmm. on the title cards for Betty and Veronica, pulled right from the kind of Archie comics uh, style. So that was really cool to see. I think we should say it what a double digest is briefly. We haven't, we just sort of referenced it, but in grocery that's stores. That's what Jughead is doing over the course of this episode. He's digesting the milkshakes, probably throwing them up and then having to digest again. So no, I think there's digest. an episode, there's an episode later this season with a Jughead double diarrhea. <laughs> that we're gonna get. It's like Almost definitely. Pete loves this. Pete, this I can't fun. believe how much you're loving this. This oh is goodness. so fun. What? It is weird how many milkshakes he drinks. Even Pop's like tired of making milkshakes, and yeah, that's just like, one of his let whole me things. Go home. I haven't yeah. seen my granddaughter in weeks. Where is she? Is she just Traveling a special guest time. star in my life now? Well, <laughs> <laughs> wow, oh, Alex still burned by the tab of the special guest star. Even though we're gonna get her next episode, I want to say. Yeah, Alex? next episode. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, but Double Digest is um, Archie Comics were normally served uh, served to us in the larger, regular comic <laughs> size. Sir. Uh, real, uh, real quick, just a couple of questions here. Uh, how, so Peter and I had talked us. about how we would go to like the supermarket checkout and get a uh-huh. double, double Digest from Archie Comics. <laughs> Did you have a butler bring you your Archie Comics on a silver tray? Yeah. They served Did it to he, you? Yeah, reveal it. No, no. Um, Please. The silver tray is for the, the plebeians. I had a platinum tray. <laughs> wow. Double digest. Wow. Flexing on us. That's weird because you also drank from a well. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, you know. Uh, an artisanal water source is what we call it. <laughs> Good for your artisanal teeth. But what I was saying is a double digest is a small, ironically, a smaller uh, version of the comic. But you got it at the, the grocery store checkout. It was a very thick volume, which could last you in the summertime when I was out in the country for weeks. I could mm-hmm. read a, a Betty and Veronica double digest for truly weeks. Great it was definitely my biggest way of experiencing Archie comics uh, before Riverdale. I mean, Ooh. same with me. I sure we talked about this on probably like the first ever episode of the podcast or something. But my first experience with Archie comics was when I'd have sleepovers at my friend Josh's house. He would oh, have yeah. shelves full of the double digests. And while I was waking up before him and waiting for him to wake up, I just like normal behavior. My spot on the floor <laughs> over to his shelves, read the double digests just for hours. Some awesome. might say you would get up early to do that. Uh, no. Some might say you hated Josh and were yeah, using him for his using double D's. Him for his, uh, oh, wow. I will. Yeah, Josh, my made up friend who was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're Tyler Durden. Yeah, exactly. Your other, the Josh no, person. More seriously, yes. I think that is people's first encounter with Archie comics in a lot of senses. Maybe not of the modern era now that, frankly, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa and Riverdale, the show, has really reinvented Archie comics in a big way. But those are still published. They still exist. And I do think people still enjoy them and love them and pick them up and read them. So – uh, I will say I was a little bummed to that point that we didn't get like 
Betty's story full stop than Veronica's story, but the back and forth. Because yeah, I was kind of expecting and, and hoping for like that literal double digest. I understand why they didn't do it from a TV structure perspective, but I kind of wanted that. And I kind of wanted them well, to lead into it. Well, they probably a had it set up that way. And then someone was like, uh, saw it and was like, yo, this sucks. You better start cutting <laughs> this up a little bit at a time yeah, here. Because, that's how TV works. Yeah. The, you, yeah. Can't, you can't just do. Yeah. Hey, just I know do, we did this whole episode, but this sucks. Yeah. Do it differently. Yeah. Cut, it up. No cut it up. Cut it up. We have the fix time. It post. We have we'll the fix time it on post. our TV schedule. The network that Pete runs will be like that. Coming soon. <laughs> Yeah, you take it over for Zaslav. Uh, I mean, I didn't uh, in the the double digest comics. I believe they went back and forth more. It wasn't just like half and half. So like, oh. I, I wasn't expecting. No, 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 this but it was thing. like a couple of different stories. Uh, is what I'm saying. It wasn't like an odd going serialized story. Oh, Obviously, we're I dealing see. with something different. Yeah, and like Riverdale naturally uh, tend tends to cut back and forth. Honestly, the sure fact does. that this was in larger chunks than the usual show when it came mm-hmm. to storylines, I did feel like made it feel different. The thing that I was going to point out as being sort of interesting slash strange was Betty dealing with like very like big issues, cultural issues, uh, repression from the 50s, uh, like really talking big philosophical ideas of like finding yourself, being yourself, being seen. And Veronica's like, just trying to run this funny business. (laughs) There were... These there are. were some thematic ties there, and we certainly ended up to jump all the way to the end of the episode at this place where Betty and Veronica, in very different ways, are both exiled from their families and off on their own and headed yes. to whatever the next change is. So there was a connection there. But you're absolutely right. There was definitely a total dissonance between what was going on with Betty, the structure of her story, and Veronica's story, which was hilarious. Uh, I just want to take another break here at this point in the podcast to take some questions from anybody that has one. Justin, you have any questions? Justin? Um, uh, you know, I'm going to yield my time to Pete. <laughs> oh, he Pete, Pete. Oh, I see you're raising your head. Pete, I was going to say the crossover point for both Betty and Veronica was coming to Jughead for help. You know, he was mm-hmm. the clear person that, uh, you know, really uh, helped them uh, in their time of need, in their moment of crisis, if you will. Yes, and that's why your this sucks, let's rearrange the episode thing makes absolutely no sense. It's just, it's just structured so that both stories it's were running side Very well structured, yeah. yeah. And I, it is funny, Jughead has this sort of like wise old man on the mountain role in Riverdale, yeah. both the town and the TV show. Because he's like, hey, I found this weird book or this weird like movie. And he's like, yeah, I know all about it. I'm always seeing stuff and reading books. And he's and he has all he's the information. sitting in front of a pile of books. You know, yeah, he's, he's basically he's the human library. Internet. He's yeah. the human Internet. Yeah, right he's there. I mean, he's essentially the way that they play him is he's the drunk, sad source that they have at a bar, except he's drunk on milkshakes is essentially what's going on here. Yeah. Or drunk he, on knowledge from the books. Mm, uh, nice, really and, downplaying and Pete, the milkshakes. I just want to mention, uh, let's get this out of the way up front. I think this will be a good way of setting up things. I know that you're saying like they both go to Jughead is like a tease toward Bughead. That's what you're getting at, right, Pete? I don't know if I was saying that. What, yeah, what we do you get say? a Betty and Jughead scene in this episode. We do you, get a Betty and Jughead fantasy kiss in this episode. So that's, that's going right. on. Yeah. I'll tell fantasy. you why. I am more sure than ever after this episode that, and I'm going to say this, and maybe I'll take it back later. Archie Endgame. Oh, 100%. Stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have been very hesitant to talk about this other than Shoddy being Endgame, but I feel like we're almost halfway through the season at this point, and everything that they did in this episode, and I'm sure we'll delve into Not everything, my friend. Oh, not everything. It's still open. This is Riverdale. Anything can change at any moment. It's still a possibility, and when Betty needed help, Went to Jughead, Jughead absolutely, help. Also, absolutely, anything ah, can happen. Right. Let's just get this out of the way. Also, <laughs> the part where um, Jughead is now going to be teamed up with the cops solving crimes. I mean, you know, Betty can only stay out mm. of that awesome area for so long before she's going to be you. like, yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities for a team up. But also in this episode, to your point, we did see historically how Betty mm-hmm. has a thing for mm-hmm. Archie. And again, that is something as a kid, you fantasize about things until you actually get that. And then you realize maybe this isn't what you wanted and maybe something yeah, else. That's definitely what they're getting at. So wait, are you saying that Cophead is Endgame? <laughs> Jughead I, and the cops? No, I'm saying that uh, Forever Bughead. Together. Bug. 
head. Bro. Yeah, and just to be clear, when you're talking about like the things that you dreamed about as a kid, maybe you get to a later place where it's more realistic. Like, let's say if when I was a little kid, I lay on my friend's floor reading his Archie comics and always wanted to talk about Archie comics, and several <laughs> decades later. I'm on a podcast with uh, 126 plus episodes. Couple of Joshes. Couple, couple of Joshes. Couple of Joshes. Yeah. yeah. Wait, are we all? Does that mean we're made up, Justin? That we don't exist? I'm That's a master a of voices, is what I think. Yeah. We're oh my god, that would you be so revealed. sad if I was. A I, voice I, in your oh, so we got be so sad. Uh, oh, pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Seth Rogen <laughs> played the role of Pete. Uh, 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 so we got Alex's first sexual memory. Pete, what milkshake were you? What milkshake were you fucking in your first sexual memory? Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, all that. I actually should. Should we talk about Betty's storyline first? I mean, I feel sure. like that's definitely. I kind of wanted to talk about Veronica's first because that's the lighter storyline, all told. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of other things that are mixed up, but it sounds like we're getting into Betty's storyline first. So the whole thing is she's being interviewed by Doctor Werther's, who is Yucky. trying to find out about her first sexual memories and who she's sexually attracted. Child psych- that's just awful. And it's at the cajoling of Alice, who really wants to help and heal Betty so she can be a normal person who gets married. But what Betty realizes by the end of the episode is not only is this probably feeding into Dr. Werther's sexual fantasies, he has a copy of Lolita in his desk drawer, but also that's not what she wants. She wants to do something more. She's not necessarily against a family, but she wants to do more and other things with her life, and she doesn't want to be put into this box that society wants to put her in. So that's the overall message here. Yeah. I will throw out there, I do think, like you said, Justin, I thought there were some interesting ideas they were dealing with, but they were dealing with so many of them in so many different ways that some, in my mind, went wildly awry and some of them worked and hit, but I, and I and I laud them for trying these things, but I wish it was a bit more coherent in terms of thematically what they were going for. I, I hear you on that, but I also think they may have been purposefully doing that to show how chaotic it is when you're at this age and you're just at the vulnerability of everything that's going on, all the confusion, all your hormones rushing. I mean, I did, was never a teenage girl, but like I think I think that's the idea here, and she just has this rush of things she can't you know Werther's is like what do you what do you think about sex and then we just see like a million of her sexual thoughts just stacked on one one on top of the other but I think by the end of the episode despite all the creepiness despite all the ways that Alice and Hal are awful to Betty she emerges free of Werther's who she dispatched by her own power she is free of Alice, who bailed on her in the maybe the most single most immature thing that's happened on Riverdale, where she's just like, I'm not, I'm your, not your mommy mother. anymore. <laughs> like, what do you she walks out of the room I'm like that's very strange. But now Betty is free to do what she wants and be who she wants without these two things that have been sort of uh, crushing her down. And I think we're standing up for I've talked about sort of the youth rebellion theme of this season. She's maybe gonna be the leader of that, I feel like, coming out of this episode. Well, and to Pete's point that he was making earlier in terms of like getting Betty into the whole mystery thing, we do get a little bit of a note of the classic Betty here when she breaks into Werther's desk and she pulls out yeah. a bobby pin out of her hair and she breaks in. And this is something we talked about a lot on the podcast. I think even though these feel like different characters and sometimes they're acting like different characters – there are these moments that very specifically and very obviously riff off of things that we know from the show and they hit hard because we miss them and we want to see them. And like Betty being investigator, Betty, that is this slow march that we're getting towards the Betty. We know towards her building herself rather than having somebody else build her up. And I think that's exciting. We also get a moment Earlier in the episode, and I'm forgetting exactly what she says. I I think it's when she's talking about how she doesn't just want to have a family. She wants to be something more and do something more. And I I saw some people take exception to that. But she also said and have a family. Yes. And or not just one or the other. I think that's the thing is I don't think she was being dismissive towards like family is gross. She was saying this box of like, well, you get married and then you become a housewife and that's all you do with your life. That's what she wants. She wants choices. Maybe she ends up at that place where she is married. Yeah, she wants to be able to decide her. Exactly. Well, well, what I was going to say, though, is there's this very light rendition of the Riverdale theme that plays in the background that, again, is when I think these, like, very blunt moments of 
we are getting these characters back to the characters we know. It's going to take 22 episodes, but we're getting them back there and working them and building them up again and seeing them develop in a way we didn't get in the first yeah. season because we were right in it. So that is exciting to me, and I'm enjoying that. I, I don't know if I'm enjoying it, but I do I do agree with you that they are building these characters towards the present, towards the people that we know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I well, also, can I mention something about that, Pete? Sure. And this is not like attacking you whatsoever. I think this is just about your personality. We did this other podcast about Sweet Tooth called Candy Bed, where we talked about Sweet Tooth. We tried to bring up Candy. You're you love candy and you're addicted to candy. You wanted the candy right now. And Justin mm. and I were like, okay, we're doing it in the second half of the episode. That's what we're reviewing it. But that's your personality is like you want the candy now. And you I want think candy now. And I think that's the same thing with Riverdale. Like you. Yeah, I want the Riverdale. You, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's why you can never become like a candy baker because mm-hmm. you'd eat all the ingredients. Candy baker. <laughs> <laughs> well, candy baker. Don't bake the candy. Dude, I could, <laughs> I could have a candy, candy to eat along the way it's as I'm making up, other candy. Cool I could powder, be a candy baker, Justin. Don't no, take that no. away from me. No, because when you're getting the like nougat ready to go into the whatever oh, go, okay. goes into. You have two nougats. You have the one I think you it's eat cooking. while you I make. I think it's cooking. It's not baking. You probably throw it in the I oven. I guess like yeah. you bake a cookie for like a Twix bar. You're getting focused on the wrong part. Yeah, yeah get out, out of here. Ed. Yeah, that's the concept <laughs> well, of the podcast, Pete. <laughs> but before we move on, because Pete, I know you have something else you want to say. Like, yes. I do think I have a lot of like a, I know, but I feel like you want to talk about something completely different, as per usual. But no, I want to about talk the, about what he started to talk about in the whole kind of Betty uh, uh, part. The the Betty part I want to talk about um, was that she. What I liked about her story is it really highlights the real trap, cultural trap that existed back then, sort of, you know, has throughout all of time. The idea of like teenagers want sex. You can't have sex until you get married. Then you're married and then you have kids and then suddenly your life is out of decisions. And I like that she identifies that here, like where she's feeling like, Hey, I want to have sex. Everyone's like, no, not until you're married. Alice dropping the wedding mags. She's like, you know what? I see the trap. She finally is aware of it and is able to remove herself from it as she moves forward in the in the episode. The thing. What, oh, oh, go ahead, Pete. Sorry. Thank you. you. Jesus something. Christ. I, uh, I, I think that. Gotta have your candy now. Shut up, man. So I think that it's one of those things where, yes, I can understand what people are being like, yo, what the fuck? But it was this nice kind of awakening for Betty, this realization of like wanting to be seen and kind of like going through that. Um, uh, Also, the fact that I I enjoyed the fact that it was kind of also this thing about boys and girls and even the shitty doctor was like, it's a boy sick about sex. Girls don't, you know, and it was just like a lot of what you were saying, Alex, a lot of different kind of ways you can kind of put people in a box and categorize them and kind of what dismiss them. But I think what was nice was she was not only breaking through all those, she was doing it in a way that felt very modern, which was cool, which also gave this hint of like, we are building towards the present, which gave us hope of like, we won't be stuck in the fifties forever. Um, but what I really appreciated was the fact that we got to kind of like see what she was thinking versus what she was saying. It was hard to watch, though, because it was like, Betty, don't tell him the truth. Stop talking to this fucking asshole. And then finally, you know, uh, you know, she did kind of get to that conclusion, but it was hard to kind of go along the ways. And, you know, as much as, uh, you know, I'm a bughead, I did. I thought it was very funny of the show of her first kind of like uh, sexual thought is her and Archie playing doctor the board game instead operation. of uh, yeah. Yeah, operation, which yeah. is yeah, kind of playing doctor, which I thought was kind of a fun. I, twist so on just it. to mention it, that it moment, funny. I think it, there is something weird about the line and the pairing of that moment. I think the way that I took that line, first of all, by the way, those are two different actors than the actors who previously played young Betty and young Archie, which threw me a little bit when I was watching it because I was like, well, that's not them. Those are well, that's people. hilarious that you were like, wow. those aren't the child but actors. I think as far as I know, I believe the actors who previously played young Betty and young Archie on the show are now like mid to late teens. Yeah, so. I was going to say, that's how time works. Alex. Yeah, Alex, take it nope. easy. Nope. She's yeah. been on for a while, bro. They're like bonsai. You got to clip their toes to keep them small. Oh, my. You know? uh, dude. Mm, that's what yucky. I do with my kids, and they're well, adorable. 
Yeah, yeah I hope your kids will have that day where you just say, I'm done being your dad and walk away. You know, give them a chance. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was dark. Anyway, that threw me for a little bit. And I also do think the pairing of, like, what's your first sexual memory with these two actual little kids threw me a little bit. And yeah, maybe a little uncomfortable. Creepy. Particularly because I think, like, what I took from that scene and the reason I said Barchi Endgame earlier is I think that's an indication of, like, that's her first crush. Like, that's her first romantic memory, not necessarily sexual memory. Well, but I, I think, you know, we, we're we adults. So we think about sex as like, oh, sex, I know. But I think, you know, when you're thinking about, like, it's not a, you don't, as a kid, you're not like sex. Oh, it's like, what is this feeling inside me? And I think mm-hmm. the point of that scene wasn't that, like, suddenly she wanted, the children wanted to, like, start making out. It was like, whoa, my feelings toward this person is, are different than anything I've ever encountered before. So, and it's kind of like this buzzer out. that's going off in this board game right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I understood the intention of the scene. I think that pairing with the line of which it seems sexual like memory. Did. That's why we're bringing it up. No, no, no. I think there is there is another, I, not to plus up the lines, but like I think there was another line potentially they could have done there that would have made the intention a little clearer. I understand how it worked. So it was... It's fine. Let's move on. The other one. <laughs> Would you rather they were playing like Yahtzee? Would that have Yahtzee. Or oh, my God. A word game. with the pop-in bubble. Ooh, trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apples to apples. Come on. Come on. <laughs> All right. This is getting really creepy. What's uh, real quick. What's your first no. sexual memory, Pete? I oh. don't think you said no, that. No, it's that. Uh, yeah, he was about to go into the milkshakes that he used to have sex with. <laughs> Uh, let's stop talking about this. So the one big thing that I would say, and it sounds like I was way more negative about this particular storyline than you guys were, but I also think, and this was purposeful, I think, but it was much more sedentary. It was less active than the Veronica storyline. And I do think that was a direct, uh, contrast that they were making, but I don't think the tete a tete Werther's going up against Betty was as exciting or interesting to me as everything else that was going on in the episode. The scenes where Betty was more active were very interesting. Her showdowns with Alice whole were good. Breaking and entering line and was, entering was that good. was fun. Like she was like breaking it, and then like. And we did shake it up with, like, these fantasy sequences that she's having. Yes. uh, But, yeah, I don't know. It didn't pop to me as much overall as I wanted it to. I appreciated where it ended up. But every time we cut to the Betty scenes, I like Betty. I wanted to get back to the Veronica scenes. That was my main impression. Really? Wow. That's interesting because I I really liked how they were different. They were more different than I thought they were going to be. But Mm -hmm. I I liked being able to go back and forth between them. And I thought it ga- the fact there were only two storylines we were juggling, really, or three if you count the Jughead bookends, it really gave us time to think about Betty's issues and then have something that was a little lighter and fun as a little Veronica sorbet. Let me throw something else out that has set certain parts of the internet aflutter or uh, I'm angry, oh. whatever the opposite of a flutter is. Uh, yeah. But the the scene where she's talking about her most frequent fantasy – And she plays, she says, I'm the teacher and I'm making out with somebody or seducing them. And she seduces Archie and it turns out to be in front of the class. People are pretty upset because if you remember back in season one, Archie was molested and assaulted by his teacher, Miss Grundy. And they think that is a reminder of that. I wanted to throw it out to you guys and get your take on it. See how you felt about it. I didn't I, I didn't connect that, but now that that connection's made, that's pretty dark. I, I don't think so because it's not about Archie. It's about Betty. So, mm-hmm. like, the fact that it's not like an, an intentional reference to that time. I think it's it's about Betty's idea. And, like, Betty talks a lot before that scene about how, like, you know, she thinks about this all the time. And so, naturally, she's school is a hotbed of sexual repression and sexual ideas for kids for these teens that they're going through so naturally that's where it's set like i i understand i think that's more of a coincidence than a connection Mm -hmm. Uh, and i also think that it's not about just about archie that's just the person that she is attracted to the most it's about all of her fantasy fantasy objects so like i i did not see that and i i don't think that was at all the intention 
Yeah, I think they're just talking about the show doubling down on this sort of thing that was already an issue that people have talked about a lot. Um, but I uh, I understand what you're saying as well. There's also the extra added disconnect of these are like mid to late 20 year olds who are playing teenagers and we're talking about them as they are teens. And they are, of course, having these sexual fantasies that they're talking about. So Betty isn't actually a teacher. So there's a lot of stuff going on there that I think mixes up the argument a little bit. But I do at the same time appreciate anybody who was upset about this and understand where that's coming from at the same time. Just wanted to bring it up and talk about it on the podcast. Any other notes from... Oh, uh, one thing that I wanted to throw out there that I think we kind of got in the previous season, uh, but get pretty much confirmation here is in terms of by Betty, or at least by Curious Betty, in terms of her feelings and attraction towards Veronica, that's much more explicit than the FBI agent that I'm totally blanking on from the previous season who was clearly like gutting for her in a very specific way. Um, yeah. Uh, cat briefcase, cat briefcase. No, not cat briefcase. No, no, no. The, the, the lady. Oh oh, yes. Oh yes. Uh, I Um, don't know why it was played by, uh, Sophia Tatum. And I don't remember the actual name of the character for whatever reason, but anyway, she expressed interest in Betty. Betty was certainly flattered and like kind of intrigued by it, but we didn't get confirmation here. Here we did get confirmation. And that's something that Lily Reinhardt, I think, has been very uh, outspoken about. So I'm glad if she is the one that pushed for that, that they got to include that storyline this season. And also make it less of a big deal than I'm making it right now on the podcast. Uh, what else? <laughs> what wow. else? Any other notes from the Betty storyline before we move on to Veronica? Is it Agent Drake you're talking about? Agent Drake, yes, thank you. Um, From the Betty storyline, I mean, Hal's porno mag collection, I thought that was such a funny Mm -hmm. uh, little sideways way at it, and I think it helped illustrate her the point she was talking about. And then, you know, like I said, the way that that Betty ends this, I think, is makes the awkwardness or touching on uh, subjects that maybe – made people uncomfortable, made it worth it because I think the character's in a place to really like be the the Betty that Pete you're looking forward to seeing and a character that I think is really exciting and interesting. Well what was tough for me about the the you know, there was a bunch of stuff, but the Betty mom stuff particularly was really heartbreaking because uh, towards the end when she is just pleading with her mom to talk to her and then we got uh, creepy Hal coming in and kind of shutting it all down. And then that next morning, I because I, what's driving me nuts about the storyline is I want to know. If Hal is a creepy murderer and that's why Alice is so afraid of him or what that why she shut down as soon as Hal showed up and then was kind of like reset by Hal. So then the next morning, like Betty didn't even have a shot of trying to reconnect and 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 get, you know. Well, I think that's the point, though. It's not that, you know, you don't have to be a serial killer to be a controlling, like uh, crushing, repressive dictator in your home. And I think that's what. The idea is like how come they're about to have this connection moment, Alice and Betty, and how comes yeah. in is like, hey, shut this down. This upsets my personal kingdom here that I'm in command of, and I don't like it. And then that changes everything and truly destroys us a moment they were about to have. And then later the repercussions of it are Alice is like, I'm not your mom anymore. Yeah, I guess so like what I want to know is he's is he just a shitty father or a, a serial killer pushing an, an, an evil agenda? I think he's potentially both, but he's at least a shitty, a bad partner and a product of his era, you could say. But like, it's not not an either or. Well, I'm not not defending him. No, no, no. But the point is a larger theme. It's not just Hal's a bad person. It's like this system is is repressive and must change. And I truly think that's what the point of this season is. is. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I want to just agree. And I think the other aspect that you're responding to, Pete, is the uh, getting back to our expectations. We know that Hal is a serial killer from previous seasons. So what we expect out of this and we've already speculated here on the show a couple of times. It's like, oh, Hal is a secret serial killer. He's part of like a milkman conspiracy or something. That might be what we're expecting, but it might be exactly what Justin is saying, which in certain ways is even more insidious and even more yeah. just terrible for society. So there you go. Not not to plus up serial killers necessarily. Yeah, you're always on the side of serial killers, man. It's creepy. 
I mean, yeah, there are sometimes the heroes of the particular show we're talking about, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think at the same time, there seems like there was something in the past because there's a moment where the way the major admic plays it, at least that Alice seems about to tell Betty something when Betty yeah. very specifically yeah. prompts her to say, what is it? What happened? So it doesn't need to be it just how yeah, it killed it's a tough. bunch of people. Yeah, it, it was just because be we were small. almost at a great moment that could have mm-hmm. really helped us. And then the fact that it was taken away from us was tough. But um, it, it could also be as simple as um, how put an end to my relationship with um, FP mm-hmm. uh, and um, the kid that they had was sent away to for adoption. Like it can be a very regular thing. It doesn't mean that Hal necessarily has a bunch of bodies hidden somewhere. Yeah. By the way, There's what you just moment. laid out is not 100% regular, but I get your point anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. yes, but I, yeah. I guess I mean, you not know, the regular uh, thing. You had a secret <laughs> out of wedlock child with a biker gang guy who then had to escape to Toledo to get away from my serial killer husband. That old more, that more often happens than in the real world than people mm-hmm. killing a bunch of other people, I would say. Yeah, potentially. Why don't we move on to what? Veronica's storyline? This was a ton of fun, I thought. So Veronica is running the Babylonium. She is basically blacklisted from Hollywood. They said to her bad print of some uh, James Dean movies, so which mm. ruins her Man, night. Everybody turns on Veronica fast, starts booing her, throwing popcorn. I mean, oh my come God, on. that was the funniest scene. I laughed out yeah. loud so hard at that. Just like fangs, fangs. basically like <laughs> ready to kill Veronica. Yeah. <laughs> like, she stopped playing the James Dean movie. Cheryl and the Fund, the head of the Deedizens, the James Dean fan club, screaming at her as well, throwing a popcorn, hitting her head. Just hilariously blocked out scene the entire time. But she eventually uh, comes up with another option after talking to Jughead, as Pete mentioned earlier. She invents 4D movie theaters and oh, plays that this very quote-unquote old movie called The Crawling Eye. I say quote-unquote because Jughead says, oh, that came out several years ago. A reminder, we're in 1955. The Crawling Eye actually came out in 1958 and is based on a 1956 TV show. Oh, just so, missed wow. on that one. Just Doesn't missed. matter. Classic Maybe this episode takes place like 59? Yeah, could be. Honestly, could be. It's Riverdale, so who cares? But anyway, she invents the 4D movie theater. That ultimately leads to some boffo B.O. Gets written up as the top story in Daily Variety. And she, as we mentioned, gets exiled from her apartment. Smithers doesn't seem to really care that much because... He's tired of dealing with all of these freaking teenagers. And she moves into the Babylonium, and that's where she's sleeping now. I have some questions about the Smithers piece. Yeah, exactly. You came in pretty hot about Smithers. He doesn't do anything really for her, it doesn't seem like. So when you say, like, he's tired of teenagers, like, he's barely around. He just seems tired in general. Yeah, yeah. Exhausted actor, but... Now, how in the well, let's get into the mind of the butler. Now she's kicked out of the house. Does he have to stay in the house and buttle for none for no Ooh. one, or does he travel with Veronica as a sort of butler on the road and have to live at the Babylonian? With well, I know her? you're raising these questions, but Justin, I feel like just to turn it back to you, you were the one who had a butler who served <laughs> yeah, you double digest on a yeah. platinum tray. Yeah. Well, it's, um, what does he do now for, that you're not living there? Or did you bring him with you to Brooklyn? Yeah, he's uh, my Brooklyn butler. He, um, well, sidecars were sidecars were invented to keep your butler. You ride the motorcycle, <laughs> and the butler rides along with you wherever you make. Making the tea in the little sidecar. Exactly. Oh, uh, <laughs> please, less bumps. The crumpets are falling all over. Um, I don't know that that whole I like the idea that Veronica is now on her own, like we talked about with reflecting the Betty story. But to, to have it, the vessel of that be Smithers being like, I don't know, they I locked the, the doors. Yeah. I live here well, now also, alone. Unless I'm remembering wrong, isn't that the same thing that happened to her with uh, whatever they called the dark room back when Veronica owned it? The... Uh, the place under Pops, uh, where her parents exiles her, and she ended up sleeping there for an episode or so. So we're getting yeah. some like riffs off of the various storylines throughout this episode and throughout all of the episodes. Um, for a brief second, I thought she had moved into Jughead's train car. Yeah, that that's what happening. I was thinking for it. Like, okay, are we getting back to that? Are we doing a I little mean, she did again? Help put that all thing together. I think Jughead yeah. would let her crash there. I mean, you know. yeah, absolutely. No, too much. Quid uh, pro diarrhea. pro Varese. 
What? Yeah, like, I don't know. I was trying to think. Don't worry about it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, first off, the the 4D is a hilarious kind of uh, fun bit where, you know, Archie and Reggie get to kind of participate and be uh, big hits. Um, and, yeah, I agree because I was like, I was like, oh, God, because 4D in real life is a nightmare. Uh, so I was, like, really worried about what they were going to do with this. But I thought they did it in a sweet kind of fun way. And I think that would be cool, uh, you know, going to a movie theater and that happens. I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, that's a real – or it's a movie anyway based on some other real-life versions of this, right, Alex? Was the, I feel like we've talked yeah, about this movie so before. Matinee? Um Oh, well, they did it in matinee, but there was a guy, I, I mean, a bunch of different guys did this, but like most famously, there was a guy named William Castle who sort of invented this whole thing, like these gags that they're talking about that he did. He, I, I'm trying to remember what it was. Hold on. I think I took it down as a note. No, I didn't write down what year, but he had a movie called Macabre and he was playing it in London. He was near Lloyd's of London that sells life insurance. It was like, wait a second, what if I took on a life insurance policy on everybody in the movie theater? And that became one of the first things. He did it again for later movies as well. So that's the thing with Dilton giving out the life insurance. I don't remember if he did the nurse, but he did a lot of stuff like that where like he'd put seatbelts on all the seats and be like, well, you got to put seatbelts on the seats. Otherwise you're going to jump out. And I think it was William Castle. There was also a thing where he was, he stopped the movie three quarters of the way through. And he's like, if you're too scared, you're allowed to leave now, but you have to leave through what is labeled as the coward's quarter. And in the coward's quarter, we had you a certificate that says you were too much of a coward. Then you had to leave this movie. So he had a lot of stuff mm. like that, uh, that he did. And I think there's other filmmakers as, well, I feel like John Waters probably later on did some of that stuff. I don't think Ed Wood did with Plan 9 from Outer Space, but certainly right. there's a lot of stuff around that in terms of interactive movies. So it's not necessarily Veronica inventing it, but this is more Riverdale mashing all that stuff together and riffing on it in a fun way. Yeah. yeah, and and it was fun. I I thought it was interesting how uh, Clay and Kevin Clavin have been relegated to like just like co employees, just like being like Veronica. Oh no, and building paper mache eyeballs and doing a great job at it. Oh my god, they were so good. They were very well done. Can I ask something? I feel like you guys are more muted about this storyline, whereas I like this one better. Did you did you like the Betty one better than the Veronica one? I did just it felt more way more high stakes. This one I thought was fun, but like, you know, it, it was just like a fun story. Yeah, it was cool to see the to- old school 3D glasses and that kind of stuff. And that movie theater was just that seemed like such a fun time. It's Things just- look straight out of the, the side, the side henchman from Back to the Back to the Future movies. Yeah. And uh, and Veronica, like going back and forth with Archie and, and uh, Reggie with the seems like you guys are playing hardball, not basketball. You're like, that was a really fun. The whole she negotiation thought they wanted scene where Reggie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reggie and, and Archie like, were like, we, just, need, we can't, we can't do, this. do this every night. Like Ron that's like, I get what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was so funny. That was such a fun, uh, a kind of uh, back and forth there. That was fun, but I also just visually love the stuff that they did here. Like we already talked about the popcorn fight where they're just throwing stuff at Veronica. The way that filmed was hilarious. But the eyeball attack, seeing it through the 3D glasses was very fun. The whole montage scene of Kevin and Veronica on the phone with Hollywood Studios being like, I got RKO pictures on the line for you. Straight out of an old Hollywood movie I thought was really fun. I just had a really good time watching this half of the show. And I, yeah. I understand what you're saying, but like we got some emotional notes at the same time in terms of she finally convinces Reggie to go out on a milkshake date with her. That yeah, goes but horribly then wrong. she blows she keep, it. Yeah, she keeps blowing it over and over for the business. Ultimately, that's what she kind of realizes is I think what she wants, at least right now, but maybe ultimately it won't be what she wants. Yeah, I, just, I, I think the big thing here is like – uh, Pete and I are emotionally nuanced people, and Alex, you're just a goof. Yeah, I just want to goof Matron three thousand. That's all I'm going for. Make uh, me but laugh. I also, hey. But I, <laughs> I also think uh, you know Veronica struggles with this and has in past yeah. seasons. Just like she doesn't have time for the regular teen life because she's like running multiple businesses and getting uh, headlines in Variety. So. 
I think that's I do by the, at the end I feel like that's in the air and we're going to get her sort of coming back down to earth a little bit. Well, and I also think this version of Reggie is very sweet as well. I really yeah. like how Charles Melton is playing it more less as like a dub goofball and more as a earnest leading man, which in real life Charles Melton has become this. Yes, he was just a cad. He's a very. He's got this huge yeah. movie at Cad. It's yeah, awesome. There you go. Well, when I think even this episode, he is he's portrayed as the James Dean. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the first shot we yeah. have of him, he's like in a towel or in the basketball shorts, just like fully posed in this like very mm-hmm. archway. So like, and I like that for him. I hope we get some of the goofiness back as he opens up a bit, uh, because I do like that Reggie, but I, I like the way, especially in, in an episode where Archie's just like absolutely a non-factor. He's just, there's no chemistry between him and Veronica. He's just sort of there being like, come on. And that's his whole. He's very <laughs> funny, though. The, yes, definitely. I'm forgetting exactly what the reaction is, but the thing where Veronica's like, can I hire you two strapping lads? And Reggie's like, sure, uh, I guess I'll do it. And Archie's like, oh, there was some expression. I guess that, we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. J.J. Abba has, the, again, made me laugh out loud. A couple of quick notes that I wanted to mention beyond the stuff that I already said. So there's a guy, the Hollywood exec that Veronica talks to on the phone, I'm not 100% sure about this because I didn't check the end credits, but I believe this is correct. The nameplate says Peter Roth. Peter Roth is, and this was, I believe, Peter Roth, who was the former head of Warner Brothers Television from 1999 through 2020. So he's essentially, he wasn't explicitly involved in picking up Riverdale, but like he was there presiding over Warner Brothers Television. Nice. The show was picked up and Shots fired? Yeah. No, no, no. So that's like uh, positive shots. Positive shots. Oh. You know, like, like shots, tequila. shots, shots, shots. Yeah. yeah. Dude, dude, dude. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that was a fun little cameo. They've been doing a bunch of those this season. Uh, I also continue to love Dilton and Dilton Benjamin. killing it. The, Huge uh, Dilton. The fourth uh, D is time. What? Yeah. Shut the up, time, Dilton. Yeah. The, his delivery of that line, like, time is the fourth dimension. Yeah. Do you mean time? Yeah. <laughs> Great. And yeah, Great. And Camilla Mendes is shut up, Dilton. Yeah. And how about the Dilton volcano at the end of Betty's Well, that's fantasy. the thing. I was like, is Betty going to have a uh, thing about no. Dilton, too? Denny? And they Denny? Were like, is no. Denny rising? Uh, and also, just on the Midge note, when she's the nurse, I love the ongoing bit of Cheryl constantly being disappointed in Midge. That's just a fun runner throughout the season. Uh, and also... She jumps the, on Fangs. That was adorable. Yeah. Fangs, I'm, I'm kind of getting into Fangs and Midge. I think they're yeah. together. Yeah. Fangs and, the moose of this season. Yeah, why not? And the last thing, the variety headline, just also hilarious that like, oh, it's obviously a slow new day, news day on Daily Variety where they're like, yes, absolutely. Our top story is this movie theater did a thing over yeah. in this small town. But one of most of the sub headlines on the rest of the page or whatever, but the most hilarious one was Lion Eats Extra on set of Adventure Pick. <laughs> that was not their top story. Their top story was about Veronica's movie in Riverdale. Wow. Yeah, both. I would ra- much rather, I would need to know about what's happening in this small, uh, vaguely um, haunting town uh, outside of New York City. Uh, Well, one big thing I think we should talk about is the Bafo business, and we get the reveal that most of um, the money the movie theaters make is through popcorn and soda. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how do you think this will impact Jughead's ice intake when he's ordering Uh, Because the ice is free, you're saying. I think that's they're going to have to shut down his extra ice order. When oh, comes to the man, that's when time catches up to us. You know what I mean? That's yeah. not the 50s anymore. Well, but it makes also, sense why he, he wanted the extra ice. He's drinking so much milk, he needs to somehow smooth <laughs> out his insides with all that well, there's some way of combining milk and ice into some sort of drink, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love milk. Sadly, there isn't. No. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. Any other things about Veronica's storyline before we start to wrap up? I just wanted her to say to Reggie, listen, I'm very much interested in you, but I'm crazy busy right now. Please don't take that personally because he was and he felt neglected, but she's trying, she's just trying to, you know, uh, keep this business afloat because it's the only thing she has to survive right now. And it's like, uh, you know, he's just thinking he's being ignored. So I really just wanted a, a little connection there, you know. Well, I think Veronica's uh, – there's no right or wrong here really, uh, I guess. But like Veronica's the one who's messed that up. Like Reggie – her saying like, hey, can I get a minute? I think he's like, no, that's not how this works. We're <laughs> a date. 
we're done doing a date. It's not yeah. like that. And they're not done. They're just getting started. I 100%. Think Man Ooh. Monica is strong. You think so? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Def. That's what we're getting toward, I think. A couple other things I like. Milk Buds. Shouts to Milk Buds. <laughs> Very fun. Better name than Milk Duds. I'll tell you that much. Oh! Take note, Duds. Become Buds. And then... <laughs> Alice's line, I'm an adult woman, I don't need therapy, I thought was a nice little, like, um, anachronistic wink uh, in a fun way. But before we go, I think we have to talk about sort of Jughead. Uh, right. At the, I mean, we get the sort of bookends here. Him under the yoke of time, ticking, ticking, mm-hmm. drinking too much milk. He's ready to move on when Sheriff Stop. Keller enters and asks Dude. a child to help solve this murder. <laughs> Uh, well, at least that's consistent with the previous Suicide. six, seven, six seasons of Riverdale, where Sheriff yeah. Keller could not solve a mystery without any teenagers. That's right. I'd love to see a, a scene of Keller just being like, I'm sort of out of ideas here. Let me go ask that teenager who wears a funny hat. He's the <laughs> one. I think it would be more like, hey, man, you can do this. You don't need Jughead. You don't need some teen. Oh, man, I need Jughead. This yeah, he's like psyching himself up in yeah. here. Like, come on. Come on. This is the crime you can solve. You can come solve on, Tommy. It. Just you solve got this one. one. Just one. Solve one crime. But, I mean, as we learned, there's never been a murder in this town until Milkman showed up. And now we've got a second. So I guess we'll see. But I think it's pretty clear Cophead is rising. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we wrap up here, who is the MVP of this episode? Justin, you want to go first? Who was your MVP? Yo, Betty, all day, er day. Love to see it. Great Betty episode. Lily Reinhardt. Took mine, man. That's BS. Well, you don't even pick that anymore. You don't even pick Betty. I so was going to pick it. Well, so you should have gone first. Um, <laughs> I was the- <laughs> The uh, and I I like uh, contrary to you, Alex. I really did enjoy the Betty storyline, and I liked that it was a little bit on the edgier side, sort of pushing at our expectations, and definitely sort of the world around the Riverdale that we've been seeing this season. So I'm here for it. Can't wait for more. Pete, what about you? I would like to just compliment Betty and say that you know the the speech uh, that she gives about being seen was really impressive. The range that she showed in this. The kind of like, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable being in a room with you was great. There was just a lot of amazing uh, Betty moments. But because you took uh, Betty, I'm going to say Cheryl, uh, the, the, just <laughs> her, just the, even though we only saw her a little bit, it was still really funny. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, in that case, I'm going to choose Eyeball Monster number two. I don't oh, know if that's Reggie or Archie, nice. but really made an impact. No, I'm going to choose Veronica. I thought Veronica was great yes. in this episode. I thought Camilla yeah. Mendez was so funny. It made me laugh out loud multiple times. And there is some emotional nuance there at the same time that's going on that, like we talked about, I think is going to pay out dividends over the course of the rest of the season. And if you would like to pay out dividends to us, you can support this podcast and all the podcasts we do at <laughs> patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Riverdale, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Riverdale Dark on Twitter, Riverdale After on Instagram, Riverdale After Dark on Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you after dark. Fit as in Miss Twinkle Town herself. Shut up, Dilton. Never did I mean you wanted me.